Hello, you're listening to a podcast from Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Radio Maria is a 24-7 Catholic radio station broadcasting online via our app, Radio Maria Play, and on DAB in an increasing number of areas. You can follow us on social media. And if you enjoy this program, please do click like and subscribe to us on your podcast provider. Radio Maria relies entirely upon listener donations. We have no other sources of funding, so please do consider supporting us with a monthly or one-off donation so that we can continue to keep providing great programming free at the point of access. To donate or find out more, visit us at radiomariaengland.uk. listening to Radio Maria and this is Father Toby with your word for today on this memorial of the uh, Dominican um, tertiary St. Rose of Lima. Let's begin with today's gospel which is taken from Matthew chapter 20. Jesus said to his disciples, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner going out at daybreak to hire workers for his vineyard. He made an agreement with the workers for one denarius a day and sent them to his vineyard. Going out at about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, You go to my vineyard too, and I will give you a fair wage. So they went. At about the sixth hour and again at about the ninth hour he went out and did the same. Then at about the eleventh hour he went out and found more men standing round, and he said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You go into my vineyard too. In the evening the owner of the vineyard said to his bailiff, Call the workers and pay them their wages, starting with the last arrivals and ending with the first. So those who were hired at about the eleventh hour came forward and received one denarius each. When the first came, they expected to get more. They too received one denarius each. They took it but grumbled at the landowner. The men who came last, they said, have only done one hour and you have treated them the same as us, though we have done a heavy day's work in all the heat. He answered one of them and said, My friend, I am not being unjust to you, Did we not agree on one denarius? Take your earnings and go. I choose to pay the last comer as much as I pay you. Have I no right to do what I like with my own? Why be envious because I am generous? Thus the last will be first, and the first last. I read an excellent piece by the ever-excellent Leia Labresco Sargent last week on the joy and importance of book clubs. It resonated with me for a number of reasons, most obviously a love of books and talking about them, but also because of a couple of persistent gripes of mine over the last few years. The first relates to a gripe about preaching and its difficulties, because one of the best preachers when I was at school would always draw upon films and TV shows 
and his homilies were a gateway into gospel stories and contexts that were less familiar to us through films and TV that were more familiar. And the gripe is that this is increasingly difficult now. What we watch and what we listen to with the prolifer proliferation of cable channels and way more forms of media than cinema, TV and radio means that we no longer watch and listen to the same things at the same time. Not even within the same families, let alone the broader community. And sadly, what we tend to share, what we tend to receive in common is celebrity gossip, some political scandal or some moral outrage about an old tweet. Into this, Leia speaks of the beauty of book clubs. She writes, It's a pleasure to get to read great books in good company. But of late, I've been particularly grateful for our book clubs because they give me something to share with friends something utterly divorced by what might otherwise comprise our only shared reading, the latest story in the frenetic news cycle. And the other gripe of mine, which perhaps is heard by some as a regular rant of mine, is that amongst the animals, we're unique in being able to be truly intentional about what we give our attention to. We are unique in being able to reflect upon and to choose what to make the subject of our thinking. And I don't think we are being nearly intentional enough about this. I think we're operating in an incredibly passive mode of being where the object of our thoughts is presented to us by an algorithm, the designers of which desire nothing truly good for us, but simply our continued unthinking attention and the susceptibility to advertising an unthinking consumption via an oh-so-easy click, which goes along with it. Reading a book, then, with its sustained attention, is an act of intentional rebellion and a humanising activity. And Leia, I call her Leia even though I don't know her, partly because of an intimacy, albeit completely one-sided, that arises from reading a lot of what somebody has written, and also because if I were to call her sergeant, it might make some people who didn't catch the beginning of this reflection think I'm telling a story from my time in the army reserves. But Leia describes how deep friendships are built out of shared attention. And she cites a passage from A Severe Mercy, a book which is near the top of my to-read pile. She says, Our friendships are built out of the experiences we share and the loves we invite each other into. In a severe mercy, Sheldon Van Elken's memoir of his marriage and his and his wife's conversions, Van Elken describes how he and Davy planned to knit themselves together by sharing everything they loved with each other. Every single thing that either of us likes, that way we shall create a thousand strands, great and small, that will link us together. Then we shall be so close that our trust in each will not only be based on love and loyalty, but on the fact of a thousand sharings, a thousand strands twisted into something unbreakable. By now I had hoped that you're thinking, well, I would like to give some of my attention to this layer lady's writing, and so I'd recommend her substack to you, Other Feminisms. And it was whilst reading some of the articles on there that I came across the summer reading group that she has started up, where the readers work their way through by a very manageable chapter a week, 
Ursula K. Le Guin's A Wizard of Earthsea. And I read her entries and other people's comments on the first couple of chapters, and it seemed well worth a read. So not for the first time in my life, I'm a little behind the pace, but catching up and absolutely loving it. And my appreciation of the first couple of chapters has been seriously enhanced by the insights of her community of readers. And I hope that something similar happens around this radio too. In fact, I know it does. I'm delighted by the feedback that we receive. And I hope that there are many more who get such a benefit from being part of a community of listeners, even if we don't always hear from them. And I was delighted to hear from Helena on a recent promotions visit that people were coming up to her who she had not met before, were asking how Augusta, one of our most frequent callers and prayer contributors, is. Anyway, after morning prayer this morning and some good conversation with the brothers, I read a little more of The Wizard of Earthsea, and there was a beautiful passage which made me think of today's saint and yesterday's gospel. Now in Earthsea there is an almost beyond biblical reverence for names. Most people operate under nicknames, with only a tiny number of people knowing a character's real name. To know a name is not just to know the use of something, but to know its very being. And it keeps me reflecting on God giving us his divine name through Moses in the burning bush. It keeps me reflecting on the name of Jesus, meaning God saves, and the love that that entails. And it keeps me reflecting on the power and responsibility given to Adam in the naming of the other creatures. And then you cannot help but think of the culture of use over knowing that constitutes so much of contemporary human relations, from zero hours contracts, the gig economy, photoshopping and OnlyFans. The protagonist of the novel is a young apprentice wizard, Jed, but known to most as Sparrowhawk. Jed is brilliant, but impetuous, proud, spiky and delicate. And where I'm up to in the book, he's currently at wizard school. And after a disaster in which he sought to use magic as a demonstration of his own power, with no thought for the devastating consequences which might and did follow, he is now a rather more humble and shy character. And in the passage that really struck me, he is in conversation with one of the nine masters of Rook, where the, where the wizard school is based. Jed is talking with the master doorkeeper, who has said he will be granted freedom in Rook if he can name the master by his true name. Now Jed finds that the normal ways and crafts of name-finding will not work on one of the nine masters, discovering that a prying charm will be met with a stronger charm, subtle devices will fail, devious inquiries will be deviously thwarted, and force will be turned back upon itself. And then here's a bit which made me think of Jesus in yesterday's gospel, talking of the difficulty of the rich man entering the kingdom of heaven, and the comic analogy of passing a camel through the eye of the needle, and then elsewhere where he speaks of entering by the narrow road. Jed, having tried charms, says to the master, You keep a narrow door, master. I must sit out in the fields here, I think and fast till I grow thin enough to slip through. As long as you like, said the doorkeeper, smiling. And Jed goes off a little way and begins his time of fasting. 
which also seems to me a time of prayer, though there are no gods of which I am aware in the world Le Guin has created. And in the fasting, he sees less and less in all that he has learned, what will enable him to take the name of the master by his own power. It seems he becomes conscious that the only way he will get what he needs is to receive it. We're told, he lay down in the field and slept under the stars with his pet nestling in his pocket. After the sun was up, he went still fasting to the door and knocked. The doorkeeper opened. Master, said Jed, I cannot take your name from you, not being strong enough, and I cannot trick your name from you, not being wise enough. So I am content to stay here and learn or serve, whatever you will, unless by chance you will answer a question I have. Ask it. What is your name? The doorkeeper smiled and said his name, and Jed repeating it entered for the last time into that house. Prayer is an act of humility in all its forms, and St. Rose of Lima spent many, many, many hours in prayer. To pray in adoration is to recognize there is something greater than me. To pray in contrition is to recognize that I am not perfect. To pray in thanksgiving is to recognize that everything is gift. To pray in supplication is to recognize that God is the giver of the gift. Prayer is also an act of attentiveness, an act of deliberate focus on the highest good. And to be attentive to something or to someone is to love them. And so to pray humanizes us because it is intentional and elevates and divinizes us because it is a communion with the divine. Reflecting on Jesus' exhortation to the rich young man in the gospel a couple of days ago, and then thinking on the image of entering through the narrow door through the eye of the needle, has made me think of the need to be Christ-shaped to enter into the kingdom. Christ is the gateway. He is the keyhole, the eye of the needle, the bridge between heaven and earth. And fasting matters, as I think St. Rose, who fasted a great deal, Fasting matters as St. Rose got in a deep, deep way because we cannot be Christ-shaped whilst we're still clinging on to other things. It's not so much the absence of food that counts most in fasting, but the trusting that Christ is enough. The men who stay out in the marketplace in today's gospel, not hired until the 11th hour, they show a trust, a humility, perhaps even a sense of desperation, but they stay, and then the master does indeed come at the eleventh hour and invites them to labour in the vineyard. Part of the disposition necessary for prayer is that we don't seek to treat God like a magic force to be used, but rather have the experience of being powerless. It's when we realise that we cannot use God that we become ready to receive God, it's when we are weak, like St. Rose and St. Paul, that we become strong. So I now I leave you with Father Tanzi's prayer, Song of the Beloved. Oh, I hear my love, flowers are appearing on the earth, 
The season of glad songs has come there Cooing of the turtle dove Can be heard in our land And the fig tree forms its first fig